welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This is part one of our mini-series on the difference between FAR Part 15 acquisitions and the fair opportunity process found in FAR 16.5. This episode is brought to you by BidProtestInsurance.com. Bid Protest Insurance is exactly what it sounds like. Insurance to protect your award from bid protests. Bid protests are nearly impossible to predict. Since bid protests typically cost the apparent winner up to 15% of the contract value, they can be a nearly catastrophic financial event, especially for small businesses. Having insurance against this mitigates that risk. Here's how bid protest insurance works. Go to bidprotestinsurance.com to apply for a free, no-obligation quote. To secure that quote, you simply pay a small fee. If and only if you receive the award, you'll be charged for the agreed-upon premium. There's no cost if you don't win the award. Now, if someone protests your award, you're covered for many of the costs that are created by protest delays. To cover yourself in the event that someone protests your next win, go to bidprotestinsurance.com to get started. Now, here's part one of The Path to Fair Opportunity. Today, we're talking about multiple award contracts. We have an earlier episode that we did with Vicki Straharsky about multiple award contracts, max government-wide acquisition contracts, GWACs, and multiple award schedules. I don't know if anyone ever says MAS, M-A-S. If you're not familiar with the differences, that's a good place to start. Today, we're focusing on multiple award contracts. And why is that? I was leading a training session recently on IDIQ contracts versus standalone contracts that are done through FAR Part 15. And one of the questions was, what's the difference between a FAR Part 15 and a FAR 16.5 competition? And that's a huge question. <laughs> if you're following on these topics, you understand that these are huge FAR parts. Uh, 15 and 16 are foundational parts of the FAR. So there's a, a lot to unravel here. FAR Part 15 Contracting by negotiation is the rule set for, among other things, the source selection stuff that we've talked about in many, many, many episodes. FAR Part 16, contract types, isn't so much about the buying process as it is about the ways that contracts can be structured. However, when we push into one part of FAR Part 16 in particular, FAR 16.5, that's the Indefinite Delivery Indefinite Quantity, or IDIQ, we see why the government prefers this flexible acquisition strategy. If we push even deeper into 16.505b1, that's the fair opportunity section, it talks about, like you mentioned, multiple award contracts. And things get even more interesting because now we have to understand how are we going to compete among these multiple awards. That's the challenge with the multiple award schedules. So when somebody says, what's the difference between FAR 15 and 16.5, what that's starting is the fair opportunity discussion. And that's not something that we can squeeze into one podcast episode. Which is why we decided to do a short series on fair opportunity. Before we get started with the first of that series, let's stop and say thanks. I'm going to say thanks this week to Jeff Duguid for taking the time to give me his feedback on the podcast. In addition, Jeff gave us a taste of our own medicine when he politely <laughs> and correctly identified we had some blah blah in our content as far as how I was posting things on LinkedIn about our episodes. And it's funny because episode 211 was all about blah, blah, where we talked about how difficult it is to see the fluff and the blah, blah in our own RFPs and marketing and proposals. 
and he literally pointed out that blah blah. And once he once he showed it to me, I clearly saw it. But I, I said in that episode, it's really difficult to see your own blah blah. Well, it was humbling and hilarious to me that Jeff was able to point out our own blah blah to us. So thanks, Jeff, for helping us get better with every episode. Thanks, Jeff. Let me lay out the path we're going to take to talk about fair opportunity under multiple award IDIQ contracts. We're going to do multiple episodes. The first episode today is about IDIQ contracts in general. An IDIQ is a flexible contract type. It includes an overarching set of rules against which orders are made. For an overview of the IDIQ contracts, you can read FAR 16.5 or you can listen to episode number 66, which was over 150 episodes ago. The second segment of our series will be about IDIQ orders. They're called task orders if they're for services or delivery orders for goods. These orders are used to actually order against the contract. In the third segment, we'll dig into multiple award contracts. And this is where we're going to talk about the fair opportunity process. How, how do we decide who wins each order when you're competing against multiple companies? Not, not against the whole world, but against multiple award contract holders. We'll talk about the application of the fair opportunity process and the shalls versus the shoulds versus the best practices in the fair opportunity world. Then we'll wrap up the series by talking about how you can award without competition in the fair opportunity world. So sole source awards in the FAR 16.5 world. Hence the reason that this is not one episode. <laughs> That's a lot of ground to cover. One last thing before we dig in. Let me set the stage of where we are in the process. We're not talking about Typical FAR 15 competitions where you go through an entire process to award a single contract to a single contractor for a requirement. In this world, you've held a competition to award IDIQ contracts to more than one company. And this is known as a multiple award contract or a MAC. The contracts are essentially identical for each company from a value, a ceiling, scope, and ordering procedure standpoint. Now you're going to hold competitions for your requirements under FAR 16.505 ordering procedures. And things we'll consider during that ordering procedures, which we have to lay out in the original contract, is that the complexity and the stability of the requirement and what it actually, what the contract is actually for, the performance risk, how many offers do you expect to get? How are you going to compete these? And then what discriminators you're going to use to evaluate and award between the, the how many offers there are on the, on the multiple award IDIQ, and then of course the schedule. How fast is this going to happen? How often? All of that needs to be part of the consideration for how each task order or delivery order is gonna be awarded to the individual companies within the multiple award contract. Bottom line, every MAC holder must be given fair opportunity to compete for each order. And ironically, while this is a FAR 16.5, concept this this fair opportunity awarding those original contracts was done mostly through far part 15 right so they all overlap so it's not like a there, there isn't a clear line between 15 and 16 they all overlap depending on the circumstances at this point you might be wondering why anyone would go through the trouble of awarding multiple contracts using this multiple award contract process here's the kicker it's the flexibility far 16.505b1 says the contracting officer may exercise broad discretion in developing appropriate order placement procedures, dot, dot, dot. Contracting officers may use streamlined procedures. So as opposed to FAR Part 15 that lays out very specific rules for how you have to go about things, FAR 16.505 opens the door quite a bit 
and is supposed to give agencies a lot more flexibility in how they go about buying things. That flexibility can reduce the pre-RFP time. It can increase interchanges between industry. It can streamline the evaluation process, and it can speed up the amount of time it takes to award each task order. Because you're only talking to a, a smaller number of companies, you have a faster turnaround because you know who you're going to get proposals from, you know, the maximum number of proposals. Just that alone is very valuable information to speed the process up. Let's talk about some of the key differences between FAR Part 15 and FAR Part 16.5 procedures. FAR 15.306 describes specific policy for clarifications, communications, and discussions. And we have previous episodes about all those concepts. FAR 16.5 doesn't have a specific policy for interchanges with offers. After proposals are submitted, FAR 15 locks down. This is how you have to handle it. If you're going to have discussions, you have to hold discussions with everyone in the competitive range. If you're in FAR Part 16.5, you can talk to some of them, none of them, or all of them. It's however you laid out your process. Gives you the discretion to do what you need to do and not more than you need to do just because the FAR says so. Another key difference is that FAR 15.3, we'll call that the source selection, the formal source selection process, requires that if you're going to have discussions, if you're going to negotiate things, you have to establish a competitive range. That's a formal process. Whereas FAR 16.5, well, that's the multiple award contract. There's no requirement to do that. You don't have to have a competitive range. Every time you pull a few steps out of the process, you're speeding things up. And when you clearly do not have to have in a competitive range, which we have a whole episode about competitive range. It's a big enough step. There's a whole episode about the competitive range. You take that out of the process, you get things done faster. That's why this is popular. If you're doing a FAR Part 15 type acquisition and you want to talk to offers, you want to negotiate, that's what discussions are, right? You have to establish that competitive range, which opens you up to potentially a pre-award protest. And if you enter discussions, you have to request final proposal revisions from each offer, which takes even more time because now they have to update their proposals based on what you discussed and you have to reevaluate all that stuff. <laughs> if you're in 16.5, you don't have to establish a formal competitive range. You can just talk to some of them if you want to, and you don't have to give anyone the opportunity to provide a final proposal revision and update their proposal. You can essentially just negotiate and say, that's the deal I want. And you also get to skip or, or greatly modify the debriefing process. So how many episodes do we have about debriefings? It's a big enough deal that it's an entire industry almost yeah. it, under FAR Part 15, under, under the, the formal source selection. Whereas with the multiple award contracts, they're not necessarily required. And even if they are, they're not done in the same way. Again, streamlining the process. Think about the time you save there. You have multiple proposals in-house. You have some questions on a few of them. Some of them you don't really want to care about. Instead of going through a process of establishing a competitive range and getting final proposals in and evaluating them and then having to debrief everyone, it's much more like you would do in real life. You'd get multiple proposals. You decide which ones actually have some value. You might negotiate with a couple of the offers, but not all of them. And then you take the deal that's best without having to go through a whole evaluation process and have everyone update everything that they proposed before. And one last surprising difference is in FAR 16.5, the decisions probably are not protestable. In FAR 15.3, 
pretty much everything is protestable. And we <laughs> yeah. have a whole bunch of episodes about protests as well. Goes along with, with debriefings. FAR 16.5, the government makes a decision, and you probably don't get a chance to formally protest their decision. It's not a protest-free environment, but there are different circumstances, and we'll talk about those in later episodes. Let's link this to the time zones. We've sort of spoken about it before. It's important to remember here, we're talking about the IDIQ, not the orders themselves. You mentioned before, in order to award multiple IDIQ contracts to get you to this multiple award contract scenario where you can then compete orders under those contracts, you have to go through the regular process. You've built your requirements. You decide, hey, during market research, there's multiple companies that can do this. You decide to use a multiple award IDIQ and decide how orders under that will be competed. Then you release an RFP. Then you do your source selection, which leads you to the execution time zones. And your IDIQ contracts have their own life cycle from the honeymoon zone where you're placing the first orders or competing the first orders through the performance zone, through the wrap-up zone. Buried within that, each task order or delivery order issued or competed and awarded has its own acquisition time zone, execution time zone cycle. So it gets pretty confusing, but it still follows through the same zones that you know and love from previous episodes. <laughs> and this is why it's so confusing, because you have an acquisition time zone cycle for the primary contract, the IDIQ contract, and then you have another set of acquisition time zones as each task order or delivery order is, com is developed, competed, and awarded. So it's like a time zone within a time zone. <laughs> if that makes it, if that's a thing. If you've lived in the government world your whole life, it sort of makes sense. If you're new to this market, it can be really confusing. Let's get down to why this is important. Multiple award IDIQs are becoming the backbone of how many acquisitions are constructed. Part of the reason for this is that the contracting officer and the government, for that matter, has a lot more flexibility with an IDIQ contract. As we talked about in episode 66, the reason you do an IDIQ is you want that flexibility to award orders on your own timeline. Well, in theory, when you do a multiple award IDIQ, in other words, you have multiple companies you can award orders to in your own timeline, that gives you more flexibility. However, a multiple award contract also requires a work to be competed a second time, and that's the second acquisition time zone. And through the task order process, task order or delivery order process. And understanding how that process plays out inside the confines of the IDIQ contract can be very daunting. And it can be maddening if you don't understand how it works. Or if you think you understand how it works, and that's not how it plays out after you've gotten on the IDIQ. So IDIQs can be very, very long period of performance contracts. Five years, seven years, nine years. So you don't necessarily have to redo that process over and over and over again. But you do issue or compete orders under those contracts over and over. So it seems like it's double the work at the beginning, but as time passes, there are a lot of benefits to having the multiple award structure. One of the key benefits is instead of having to compete every requirement with the whole world, you're only competing them with these companies, which you've qualified and you know can do the work, who are on the IDIQ. That saves a lot of time and also gets the, the customer what they need faster from people who, again, are already qualified, as opposed to, who knows, people that think they can do it, send you a proposal from you know, out of left field. You avoid all that. It's, that's a huge value doing it this way. You just trickled right into why government cares. 
FAR 16.5 gives this contracting officer broad discretion, but it also leaves a lot of room to create an administrative mess to manage multiple IDIQ contracts rather than just one. It gets even more complicated when you add in variables like cost type versus fixed price contracts or small business set-asides or partial small business set-asides or having certain orders that are set aside at certain dollar levels and you get security requirements and subcontracts and subcontracting plans and huh, times 5, 10, 15, 42. However many max you've awarded. And unfortunately, some agencies are adding enough rules to make the multiple award contract process just as long as the FAR Part 15. So I think there's a trend there's a trend building that that if you don't know what you're signing up for, it may seem easier to award them if you have all the contracts in place, but it needs to be managed properly. It's easy to do if you're thinking through these problems ahead of time. When you just award a whole lot of IDIQs, you have a whole lot of people standing there waiting for a contract that may never come. Like a lot of things, when this broad discretion is used on a small scale, it can be very flexible, quick, streamlined, whatever. When you expand it to the level of some of these government-wide acquisition contracts, which is huge-scale multiple award contracts, suddenly the dollar values and the volume of orders get a lot of scrutiny, and that means that more of industry is interested in it, and more of industry is trying to shape and lobby, which means that the tendency is to make it more complex. Most of that flexibility goes out the window, and now you've got these giant multiple award contracts that are supposed to be streamlined with broad discretion, and every order competed underneath them is pretty much competed like a FAR 15 source selection would be competed. On the industry side, you won't be surprised to learn that for industry, a single award contract is better than a multiple award contract. When given the choice, you always want an award just to you, even if it's an IDIQ, you don't want to have to compete with other companies afterwards. It seems like single award IDIQ contracts have fallen out of favor since the multiple award contracts, again, in theory, give the government more options. We generally recommend against bidding on and getting on a bunch of untargeted, broadly applied MAC contracts where there's dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of holders of that contract. It's not very streamlined at that point. Yeah, unless it's a GSA contract, which it's a whole separate discussion. Right, and a separate episode. And as a matter of course, you want to be focusing on the IDIQ contracts that are in your target agency. Because having an untargeted strategy where you have a seat at a table that has over 1,000 chairs at it, that means a large chunk of those holders, like like 800 of those 1,000 people, <laughs> likely won't see any work. And so getting, getting a seat on a very broad IDIQ contract is not always the best strategy. And that strategy differs whether you're a small business or a large business, and it's really based on your individual circumstances. In general, government customers are looking for the easiest way to award to vendors that are, that are qualified. So if you're targeting customers well industry, you want to make sure that you hold the contracts, the IDIQs, that that agency uses for their acquisitions. You want to make it easy for them. Using a giant Mac is easy. If you're not a prime, they don't have an easy way to award to you, even if you've shaped and marketed well and they want to buy from you. You may end up being a subcontractor to a prime under their preferred vehicle, or they may just say, eh, we'll buy it from somebody else because we can just go right here, do a quick competition and award 
rather than figuring all this mess out. Yeah, and this applies to both large and small companies. It's the concept of targeting. You need to be targeting enough to know how your customer buys. That means which IDIQ contract are they using? Or for that matter, they might be mandated to use a specific one. That's the one you get on. Right. But if you're just on them for the sake of being on them, which, again, it sounds like a crazy idea, but we see a lot of it. You, you want to be on the ones where you know your customer is buying. Because if you're, like I said, if you're, if you're one seat out of a thousand seats, it's, there's too much noise. Another thing for industry to remember is if you lose, it's not likely that you'll be able to protest. You may not even know why you lost. Just like the private sector, just like in your real life. <laughs> is this not real? <laughs> this is real. But it's not like my favorite example, putting a deck on the back of your house. There it is, back to the deck. Okay. <laughs> if you get quotes from three different vendors and you choose one, you're probably not even going to tell the other ones that they didn't win. At least the government here will tell you who won. They just won't tell you why you lost in the same way that they would in a FAR Part 15 competition. And if you're targeting, there are 10 companies on this multiple award IDIQ. You know who those 10 companies are. And while the government tells you why you lost, you know who the other companies are well enough. You probably know what your competitive advantage is over them or what their strength is against you. And you, you can get some context just by doing some business intelligence. So there's a lot of value having these IDIQs because you can see what things you're really going to be competitive for as opposed to getting a letter under a FAR 15 requirement that says, hey, you lost, here's why, against a company you've never heard of, they never bid before, they just want to contract out from under you. We're not saying that this is a crazy wild west of acquisition. The contracting officer has broad discretion in how they're going to compete and award, but they have to tell you up front, this is what's important to us, this is how we're going to award this task order. So you know how to win, you just might not know why you lost, how, why someone else knew how to win better than you. Okay, now's a good time to wrap this up, knowing that we're going to have other episodes to dive into all the details that we've been hinting about in this episode. On the government side, don't homogenize the requirements to make them one giant IDAQ bucket for orders that are just going to be awarded based on price. As a contracting officer, I didn't see that as a risk, because if you do that, you're telling industry that your plan is to just award to everybody and then let there be a knife fight on overprice after they win the IDIQ. And sophisticated companies won't bid if they see that. They see that once I get on this IDIQ, then it's just going to be a, a race to the bottom. They're probably going to walk away from them and find something else to do. I didn't see that at all as a contracting officer, but it's logical once you see it play out on these large IDIQs. Many government agencies say, we're not going to award just based on price. We set up this thing so that we could have fair competition for best value under the IDIQ. And then you watch the first five orders all get awarded to the lowest price and people go, oh, I see what's going on here. And you're not protestable and you don't get the, you don't get a debriefing. So what do you do? You don't bid next time. Or you turn your laser of effort away from that agency and go do other stuff. And you've got this IDIQ contract sitting there forever. And on the other side, on the industry side, don't hate on the multiple award IDIQ. It's an ideal tool for lots of acquisition because it gives a lot of flexibility as long as the work is within scope and the scope is well-defined when the contract is originally competed. The IDIQ model favors the customer because it's massively flexible. As a contracting officer, I'm giving my customer a tool that they can use to access a team of contractors who know what they're doing. And that's why they're so popular. It's a very effective way for the contracting officer to serve their customer with a flexible tool, i.e. the multiple award contract. In theory, they're supposed to be faster, 
for the entire process to get from I need to buy this to award and easier to administer because all the basic stuff is set up in the IDIQ. Each order doesn't include all the clauses all over again. But like most things, multiple award contracts can be used for good or evil. We talked about this already. In some cases, contracting officers compete under FAR 16.5 ordering procedures, but all they've ever really done in their careers is compete under FAR Part 15, and they revert to those tendencies. I mean, they they don't take advantage of the flexibility offered by FAR Part 16.5, and they overburden the process. I know where we grew up in acquisition, there are Lots of, we'll say, seasoned contracting officers and acquisition professionals who had their groove down. They knew exactly how to do things under FAR Part 15. Many of those people struggled to try something new and do it differently because they knew the process the way it was. I'm hoping that a new generation of contracting officers will not be burdened by the this is how we always do it mentality and will look at FAR 16.5 as a chance to excel in, like we always say, a thinking job and figure out how to use that flexibility to make things better, one multiple award contract at a time. And based on the popularity of the IDIQ contracts recently, I think that's happening. A lot of the newer COs are using 16.5 more. So I do see this trend continuing for a while. All right, with that, let's wrap up the first episode of this series, and I'll see you on the next one. All right, see you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks to our sponsor, BidProtestInsurance.com, and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.